Today we're going to talk about that last unsafe prayer, okay? Because typically what do we do? We pray safe prayers, right? Predictable prayers and uh, kind of uh, nonspecific prayers. Lord, bless me. Lord, help me. And so today we're going to talk about something that we haven't talked about yet. We talked about the first week. What did we talk about? Search me and know me. Test me and know my thoughts. Know the stuff that's going on in my head. And then lead me in the way everlasting. Those were the things we talked about the first Sunday. Last week, we talked about another dangerous prayer, and it was break me. Break me of anything that keeps me from being intimate with you. Just break me of that. Show me how false that is, and just break me of those kinds of things. Today, we're going to talk about something that is going to be even more dangerous. And it's going to be send me. Okay, Lord, send me to do what you have before me to do. And we're going to talk about this uh, in great detail today. Now, based on most prayer requests I hear and I receive, you know what we pray about most? Things that directly affect us. Okay, Lord, help my grandma to do this. Help my mom to do that. Help my mom to get better from her broken leg. Help my grandma to do better with her health. Help my... uh, Job search. Lord, lead me to the right school. Lead me to the right mate. Do this stuff for me. But what if we decided that we were going to continue to do those prayers? Because those prayers are very important. Okay, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray those. I think you should pray those. But you ought to add another thing into your arsenal of prayer. And that is, Lord, not so much what will you do for me, but Lord, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? How can I be of service to your cause? How can I be of service to the people that you love? How can I do the things that you want me to do? Now, if we do that, we'll probably find things that are different. Okay, Help my marriage. Help my grandma. But if we pray those prayers, I don't want you to limit yourself. Because instead of what God wants to do for us, we want him to do stuff, we should ask, what do we want to do for God? I hope today is going to be one of those messages that kind of changes the direction of your prayer life. You know, sometimes we come across those things that just go, they're those aha moments. Have you ever had one of those spiritually? You just go, oh, yeah, I'm going to include that in my life, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a different direction. I'm going to see God differently. And I told you a couple of weeks ago about my experience with understanding the sovereignty of God. You know, and how that just, you just kind of, when you understand that God can do anything he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, with whoever he wants, you just kind of go, ah, oh, okay. I can rest on this uncertainty, this, this difficulty in life, because God is still sovereign over all of that stuff. He allows it to happen. He wants something to go on in my life. He wants me to change to be more like him. I know all that stuff. And so I don't have to be so concerned about, I got to change that. I got to do something. I got to take charge of it. I can just rest and let God do his thing in that circumstance to provide for me the best outcome. I can trust him in all of that stuff. Okay. Now, if today you start praying this prayer, you might find that God calls you to a different job. You know, some of you say, yeah, I hope so. You know, some of you are not really praying, maybe appreciating the job you're doing right now. Maybe he'll call you to a different job. Maybe God will call you to a different city. He'll say, I want you to move. Don't leave the church if you do. Okay, commute, come back to church. Some people are going to, you know, maybe God is saying, stay right where you are. You're right in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time with the right people, and I can use you best right there. Maybe it's just stay where you are. Maybe if you're a single person, God's saying, I want you to break up with that person, and I want you to give you an upgrade. Oh, now some of you guys that are married just went, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. If you're married, stay married to the person you're married to. You know, don't, don't get excited about that. Maybe God's calling you to serve in the church. Maybe God's calling you to serve in your neighborhood. Maybe God's calling you to serve in another organization so that you can represent him in a world of people that don't know him. Maybe God's calling you to stop being a cat person and maybe be a dog person. I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't want to throw that in just for, for, for fun. Uh, many of you don't know how I feel about cats. Cats are great. You know, they're great. I remember one time, I was 12 years old. I'm just going to throw this in for bonus material. I remember I was 12 years old. I was on a vacation with my parents, and we were at this, you know, back in the day when we went on vacation, you'd always stop at Stucky's or someplace like that. 
Most of you don't know what Stuckey's is. Uh, but you'd stop, and they had these curio shops or whatever, you know. And we were in there, and there was this kind of this museum thing attached to this curio shop. And I'm in there looking at this rack of magazines and stuff that they had, historical things about the place around there. And I'm just looking at that. And this cat comes over the top of this thing and jumps right on me. Some of you say, oh, no, it wasn't that kind of moment at all. You know, it was an attack. And I, from that moment on, I said, yeah, I, I said, you cat. And so anyway, so God's going to call you to do something different, okay? Let's keep our ear open for God this week. Let's pray and ask him, send me to do something different in the arena in which I have influence, okay? Now, there's three responses to God's call. And we're going to look at the Old Testament today and look at some Old Testament characters who were really characters. And we're going to find what their response to God's call was and see if we might identify with some of those calls and maybe correct some of the improper responses to God's call. Let's take a first look at Jonah. Now, Jonah, if you know the story, you know that Jonah said, here I am, I'm not going. Here I am, I'm not going. That's what Jonah said to God. And I don't know if you would ever have the courage to say that, but he did. He says, I'm not going. In fact, went to a great deal of expense and effort to avoid the call of God. But can you ever avoid the call of God? If you ever read the book of Jonah, you know that that dude, he caused all kinds of havoc. He, he damaged some people. He damaged a lot of cargo on a ship. And uh, God finally got him to where he needed to be. But it took him through the belly of the great fish. Okay. And, you know, I would, I, I'm not so unhappy being in the belly of a great fish, but it's the process by which he got out that I would really be opposed to. This whale, this great fish, perches up on a beach and barfs him out on the beach. Going in, I'm okay with that because you're surrounded by water and you go in. Okay, fine. But getting barfed out on a beach by a whale, I'm not crazy about that. But that's what happens to this poor guy so that God could get him to where he needed to be. Now, his initial response to the call of God was, I'm not going. And we find in Jonah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, here's God's call to Jonah. I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Okay, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was a really wicked city, and God, wanted, God loved the city of Nineveh, and he wanted to send Jonah there and say, hey, dude, you know, you got to straighten up. Hey, folks, straighten up, repent, turn to God, and he will forgive you. Jonah says, I'm not going. Notice what he does. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Okay? Have you ever wondered how, how many times you've sensed the call of God leading you and you just didn't follow because you weren't sure it was him. You weren't sure you were equipped. You weren't sure you had the right resources. You weren't sure you had the right time. You weren't sure that you had time at all. And you made up all of these excuses to keep from following God. I remember one time we were leaving church one Sunday at a different church. And uh, we were leaving church, and I'm driving, and I had just preached about service to the community, and I don't know. And we'd roll up to this stop sign at this cross street. In fact, it was at Washington and, North, and West Texas. And I roll up there, and all of a sudden, this van full of a lady driving and about 6,000 children in the back of her van comes puttering across, and barely cleared me at the intersection and rolled to a stop just past the intersection. And I said, whew, are we lucky. If she had stopped right in front of us, we would have been late to nations, and that great hamburger would have been cold. And I remember, you know, God spoke to me. He says, oh, remember that message you just preached about service to the community? I said, oh, yeah. So I better check my mirrors. And I looked around to see who was around. Lo and behold, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm saying, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and as I looked up, the guy in the rearview mirror was a guy from our church. And he saw me look in the rearview mirror, and what did he do? Hey, Pastor Mike. Cool. And I thought, oh, man, I drive past this lady. He's going to, oh, what am I going to do? Because oh. I say, Lord, here I am. I'm not going. And I realized, you know, I, you know she, it's obvious she was out of gas. She crossed the intersection. And I, it was obvious. And I said, oh, man, I've got a, I got a AAA card in my wallet. I could call somebody. They could come and bring her gas. And Man, but it's, it's going to take some time. And we're supposed to meet somebody at Nations for a burger. 
You know, by the time you're done at church, you know, that's all you think about is a burger. Well, today after church, that's all I'm going to be thinking about is, you know, ah, lunch. Oh, let's go. And so I pulled around and as I'm getting ready to go by, my car just kept going and I pulled to the curb. And the guy behind me pulls to the curb and I go, oh, I can pass this off. <laughs> I get out and this gentleman gets out and, and I said, I said, hey, you got this? He goes, no, I can help you though. Oh, come on. So I get my AAA card, call them, you know, they finally show up. They give the lady some gas. She's all appreciative and everything. But I tell you, I, got, I, ran, I went away from that very disappointed in myself because God had obviously called me to help this lady out. All it took was maybe 20 minutes. And I thought to myself, I'm not going. Okay. Now, I'm going to use that story for the next one here too. But, you know, so remember it. Okay. I've got too much going on. I'm, you know, I don't have enough to give. I don't have the resources. I don't have all this stuff. And after all, maybe there's somebody else. Who knows? Okay, so let's take a look at number two. So Jonah says what? I'm not going. Okay, have you ever been there? I have. I hate, I hate to admit. Number two, we're going to look at Moses. Moses, what did he say? He said, here I am. Send someone else. Send someone else. Okay, now remember my story? When the guy pulled over behind me, I said, ah, send him, Lord. And he said, I'm not going. And I thought, how dare him to say I'm not going, you know, after I just said that. You know, I thought, gee, you know, send someone else. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, uh, this is God speaking to Moses. He says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, how long had the Israelites been in Egypt, slaves in Egypt? 400 years, count them, 400 years. They'd been, they proliferated, man. They, they were a huge nation. They came to there as about 70 people, okay? Okay, 70 people came to, 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 to um, Egypt, uh, all of the Jacob and all of his, fa- his family uh, and kids and entourage and all their stuff. They came down there because there was famine in the land and they were, oh, they were very happy to be there. And all of a sudden there was a Pharaoh that didn't remember Joseph anymore. And so, man, he busted all the guys and made them slaves. Okay, so now they're there for 400 years. And, uh, and God says, it's time for my children to go. And Moses, you're going to be the guy. Could you imagine God saying to you, you're the person that's going to do this huge migration of people from Egypt to the promised land where the nation of Israel is going to be established. I would go, wow, that would be such an awesome thing. You know, use me, God, send me, send me. But Moses, he realizes the limitations of his abilities. And he says to God, uh, no, I think there's probably somebody better than I. You know, I don't, I don't speak well. You know, I don't, I, I, I don't articulate well. I don't, I don't communicate well. And, and, and God says, and he says, I can't do it. God says, yes, you can. Moses says, no, I can't. God says, yes, you can. Moses says, no, I can't. But God says, yes, you can. Moses says, no, I can't. You know, and this little thing goes on for a little while. And pretty soon God says, if I say, you, you know, here, if I'm God, here's what I would say. If I say you can do it, dude, you can do it. Shut up, go. But God says, okay, if you don't want to, I'll, I'll send Aaron. He'll get, he'll get to go and he'll get to do this stuff. Cool. And I can imagine Moses going, he says, send someone else. Okay? So he sends Aaron. Uh, a lot of you would say, you know, I know that this thing has to be done. I know that there's this thing out there. I know so-and-so needs some help, but man, I just can't do it. I don't have the time. And after all, there's, there's some single moms, some stay-at-home moms that, that, that do this, stay-at-home moms, you know, and all the stay-at-home moms say, you, you want to see what stay-at-home moms look like? They get their knives out and they come out and they say, yeah, I'll show you what stay-at-home is like. And, uh, <laughs> And so they say, you know, I, they, I, don't, I don't have any more time than you have. And uh, I've got these kids. And, uh, you know, and I say, they're probably right. You know, you don't want to ever ask somebody to do something for you that's carrying a knife. Don't do that. Okay. So, but we say, send someone else. Somebody else has better talent. Somebody has better resource. Somebody has more time. Somebody has, you know, I just send someone else. Okay. So maybe you're there. Okay. Now we're going to look at a third guy. His name's Isaiah. Now he says this. He says, here I am, send me, send me. I remember when I went into the ministry, you know, everybody says, oh, how did God call you to go into the ministry? And man, I'll tell you, one day I was reading this very story in, in Isaiah chapter six, 
And, uh, and God says this. He says, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And I, kind of, and I saw this vivid picture of Isaiah standing there going, you know, the little kid in the classroom where the teacher asks the question and the little kid knows the answer. Oh, call on me, call on me, call on me. I got the answer, I got the answer. And I can imagine Isaiah being just like that. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Send me, send me, send me. You know, and I thought, man, that's God speaking to me. Okay, where do you want me to go, God? Where do you want me to go? And it wasn't long after that that, that the church I was t- attending, they needed a youth pastor and the pastor came to me and he says, he says Mike, you know, I think you're the guy. Oh, yeah, send me, send me, send me, send me. But in the process, between that time I read about Isaiah and the time that the pastor said, hey, you're the guy, I had some struggles. I had some real struggles. Because God says, I want you to go into ministry. I didn't know what I would do, you know. I'm not a good speaker. At that time, I had, you know, had some bad experiences speaking. I remember when I was in high school, okay, and many of you have heard this story. (coughs) Excuse me. You've heard this story. In my English class in my senior year, you had to give a 15-minute presentation. And I thought to myself, a verbal, oral presentation. You had to get up there and talk for 15 minutes. And I thought, what would I say for 15 minutes? I could say, uh, for 15 minutes, maybe, you know, if I have breath control. And, uh, and I thought, no, I want to go, oh, gosh. And what if everybody's staring at me? Well, of course, they're going to be staring at you. You know, you're standing in front. And so I said, yeah, I confirmed that fear. Yeah, they will stare at me. And what if I do something dumb and they laugh? You know, or what if they, you know, they do something dumb out there and I laugh? You know, and I'm just all nervous. And so, you know, what my solution to that was? I won't go to my English class ever again, <laughs> ever, ever. I'm a senior in high school. I have great grades, you know, I'm cruising through. And I didn't go for the rest of the semester, uh, for the rest of the year. That was our last semester, and I didn't go. And lo and behold, you know, not thinking very far ahead, that was back in the day when they would send your grades to your mom at her house. And she says, hey, why'd you get an F in English? I said, I got an F. I knew I got an F. You know, that was, that was, the, that was, the, that was the thing. And I, I said, I, I don't know. Well, let me call your school. No, you don't need to do that. You don't and so she looks a little further on there. And that was back in the day when they kept track of your record, you know, your attendance shows a day's absent in each class. Zero, 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 17. 17 days absent in your last class? Hmm. My mom's pretty smart. She put two and two together. Oh, where were you? Uh, I had to come clean, you know. And, and that whole time, you know, you're fearful, the skeletons in the closet and all that stuff. But that's how fearful I was of speaking. I want you to know, okay. And can God do something? Can God change that? Maybe not change the quality of what you say, okay. But he does change the fear factor. And so here's... Here's Moses, and now we have Isaiah who says, oh man, send me, send me, send me. I'm saying, no, don't send me, don't send me, don't send me. But Isaiah says, send me, send me, send me. And so I have this struggle now going on. God's calling me into ministry, but yikes, I'm going to have to talk in front of people. Finally, God wears me down, Uh, wears me down. Uh, He waits. He's silent, you know, and I hear nothing from God. And finally I say, okay, God, I think I could speak maybe to kids, you know, maybe maybe to teenagers. Okay, I, I I can do that. But don't ever send me to Texas. I don't know why that popped into my head. You know, I have this real aversion to Texas, you know. I, I don't know why. Uh, but, but I said, don't send me to Texas. And you know what God said to that? Nothing. Nothing. And I thought, oh. And you know what God was waiting for? God was waiting for me to surrender to say, I don't care who I speak to. I don't care where I have to go. I don't care about any of that stuff. Lord, I just want to serve you. I just want to serve you. And finally, after about three weeks, that happened. I got to that point where I was broken. I said, oh, God, I'll do whatever you want. Whatever you want. And I was like Isaiah. Lord, send me, send me, send me. And that's when he made this opportunity for me to speak to youth at the church that I loved under the pastor that had mentored me and was going to continue to do that. And I thought, ah, 
A lot of fear about nothing, huh? A lot of fear about nothing. And so here's, here's Isaiah. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Now, he has this, he has several things. If you look back in the, and we're going to today, we're going to look at back at Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to see what led Isaiah to that place where he said, hey, I'll do anything you want, wherever you want, however you want. Lord, send me. How did he get there? Well, let's take a look at three things that he experienced, three things that he went through that helped him get to that point of full surrender to God. Number one, he had a genuine experience with the presence of God a genuine experience with the presence of God. I hope that you have had that kind of experience. I hope that you have that kind of experience often, often. It's something that should characterize the Christian life. It's something that we should experience often. Notice Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Circle that word, saw. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, he goes on in this, and I didn't include this, but he goes on to say, man, there were some seraphim in there, and there were angels, angelic beings, worshiping God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, they're in the, and he's watching this, and he's, see, he's seeing this stuff go on in the presence of God, and he says, wow, I saw the Lord. Now, what makes us more available to God? Why is it that many times we don't feel all that available to God? I'm going to make a suggestion here. Maybe it's because we don't very often experience the presence of God. Thusly, we don't feel available to God because we don't experience his presence very often. Last Tuesday night, uh, man, I I tell you, it it might be one of the highlights of my uh, pastoring experience. Uh, I went to small group last Tuesday night, and I, oh, Janine's not here, nuts. She's out with the kids. Uh, she's out with the kids serving. Uh, Janine, if you know Janine Stagner, uh, man, if there's a lady in our church that has a reason not to serve God, not to be here every Sunday, uh, and to be bummed out, it's Janine. Janine Stagner. And I don't know if you know the circumstances of her life or not, and she would not fault me for sharing. Uh, she's homeless, okay? She lives in a field in a tent, okay? She's lived there for a long time. She has a chance maybe to get an apartment now, and she's been saving her money, and I'm praying that she gets an apartment. But she, uh, we've been rotating the leadership of our, of our small group uh, every Tuesday night. Somebody else leads the next lesson, and she says, I'll do it. And I said, awesome. And she... She, she bared her soul to us. She talked about her fears. She talked about how God had satisfied her. She talked, and I'll tell you what, uh, we got a chance to help another lady in our church a couple of weeks ago. We helped her get a car. And Janine, you know, who doesn't have much, she could have said, you know what, I wish the church could have helped me like that. She could have said that. She did not. She said, that was the coolest thing I've ever experienced when you helped so-and-so get a car. She said, that was the coolest thing. And she had tears in her eyes. And so she leads our group. She leads our group. And at the end of it, you know, she, she gets done. And, and I was moved uh, because I saw the presence of God in her life. And on the way home, I was listening to the radio and I listened to K-Love and they're singing their worship songs and stuff. And I'll tell you, tears started running down my face. And I started singing. And uh, for many of you, you say, I'm glad you did it on the car by yourself on the way home, uh, if you've ever heard me sing. But, but I was singing loud. I was singing loud. And, and, man, I was worshiping God. I sensed his presence. I sensed his presence saying, Mike, man, you gave her an opportunity. Way to go. Because she has grown. She has grown. Her dependence has grown. Her, her trust has grown. Her, her ability to share me with other people has grown. Man, and, and God spoke to me about Janine, and I thought, man, that is so awesome. I experienced the presence of God. I experienced, and I want you to experience the presence of God because that's what calling comes from. You have to experience his presence, okay, and so that he can speak to you. You know, many times I think that we don't experience the presence of God because we have not made an effort to draw near to him. 
Okay, we have not made it. Remember when the children of Israel were going and, and God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to speak to you up on the mountain, but I want you to uh, protect the people because if they come up on the mountain, it's just too holy for them. Man, they touch the mountain, boof, they're going to go up in dust you know, because it's just too holy for them. And, and so, you know, be careful. And so the people got scared and they said, oh, Moses, you go up there and don't let us hear the voice of God because if we do, we will just burn up. We will just die. And so he says, okay, I'll go up and tell you what he said. And say, oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We don't want to hear the voice of God. And I think many times we don't want to hear the voice of God because of what he might ask us to do, what he might tell us about us. And so we don't draw near to him. But the Bible is very clear. It says, if you draw near to him, you know what he will do? He will draw near to you. If you initiate drawing near to God, he will draw near to you. It doesn't say, maybe I will, sometimes I will. If I feel like it, I will. It says, if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So this next week, if you have not experienced God regularly, if you haven't experienced it in a week or two, I want you to draw near to God. I want you to go someplace all by yourself. Go someplace all by yourself and just sit down and wait. Say, God, I'm going to sit here until I sense your presence, until I hear from you, until I enjoy your presence. I'm just going to sit here. I may get out here in the rain. I may get out here in the heat. I may have to spend the whole night here. But God, I'm going to wait here for you. I'm going to experience your presence. I want to know that you are real. And I'm going to sit here and wait until you do. And you'll be surprised what God does. He will draw near to you. He says that he will. Okay? You can do this anytime. You can do it like I did in the car. Just worshiping God as you're driving down the road. You know, if you sing loud like I did, roll your windows up. If you don't have a good voice, let them down if you do. Okay? Uh, but, uh, but you can do it that way. You can do it while you're praying with your kids. You can do it while you're praying with your spouse. You can do it while you're praying with anybody. And just, God, speak to us. Be present. Be here. Let us know you are real. You can do it while you're at church. You can draw near to him right now, and he will draw near to you. Okay, so number one, a genuine experience with the presence of God is what you need in order to be fully surrendered to him. Okay, number two, a genuine awareness of my sinfulness. Okay, here's Isaiah. Here's Isaiah. Um, and, and before I talk about Isaiah, let me, let me say this. One of the biggest cultural lies that we experience, one of the biggest cultural lies that we experience are what? Uh, is what? You're good. You're good. You hear it all over the place. You're good. And you deserve. You're good. You're des- and people will say, yeah, I'm, de- I'm a good person. You're a good person. We're good people. You know, but I'm going to say this. The truth of the matter is that it, without Christ, okay, without Christ, we are selfish sons of guns. Okay? We are selfish, we are wicked, we are devious, we will do whatever it takes to get to the top, we don't care who we step on, and we are selfish sons of guns, okay? That is the truth. That's the truth. That's what the Bible teaches. We are sinners, okay? And we have to counteract that sinfulness with godliness, okay? So that's the biggest lie that can be told. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that if you ever have this experience with God, and I pray that you will, you're going to notice one thing about him. Number one, he is holy. God is holy. That means he is morally perfect. And when we realize that he is morally perfect, what do we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to look at ourselves and what are we? We're not so morally perfect, you know, not by a long shot. And we go, oh, we kind of hang our heads. We recognize that God is righteous, okay? He does everything right all the time. And when we look at our lives, we realize that without him, hmm, I'm not so righteous, I'm not so righteous. And so we start this comparison game. And what that causes us to do is to withdraw from his presence. When you see how good God is, you realize how good you are not, which is a good thing. But don't let that cause you to withdraw from the presence of God. Let it help you to be honest with him and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. You know, left to my own devices, I just really don't know what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And, and I mess up. I have messed up. And so, Lord, I want you to forgive me. Notice Isaiah's response. He says this, woe to me. He's in the presence of God. And God doesn't say, you know, uh, you're a bad guy. But what God does, and if you read through this whole chapter, what this seraphim does, this angelic creature, goes to this fire, and it's got a bunch of coals in it, and he takes a tong, and he takes one of the coals out, and he touches it to uh, to Isaiah's lips. 
Before that happens, though, he's in the presence of God and he recognizes God's holiness. He recognizes God's righteousness. And he realizes how good God is and he realizes how bad he is. And so he responds with verse number five and he says this, Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. Okay? And now, in, in, a lot of trans, in some translations, it says, I am undone. Now, what does undone mean? It means I'm falling apart at the seams. I'm just undone. Blah, you know? And without God holding me together, I'm just undone. I'm messed up. I realize how messed up I am, and I just cannot keep it together. I'm undone. He says, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, what's the, what's the problem with living in a, a land of unclean lips? You know, people that are the same way. The problem is we compare ourselves to other people. We say, I'm not so bad. I'm not so bad. You know, everybody does it. What's the big deal? You know, everybody does it. But when we compare ourselves to God, we recognize how I'm a person of unclean lips. I've told lies. And I live in a, a land of people that tells lies all the time. If you don't know that happens... Look at the news tonight when you get home. You're going to see lie after lie after lie. Okay? I'm just saying. Okay? He says, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have what? Seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And now I recognize how bad I am because I've seen how good God is. And the comparison is just worlds apart. And so, therefore, I recognize my own sinfulness. Now, can you imagine how he feels at this point? Now, he has a choice at this point. He can run from God and hide, right? Which is a lot, a lot of people do when they recognize, oh man, I'm not like God, I'm going to run and hide. I'm going to get around people that are like me so that I feel more comfortable rather than get around people of God and feel uncomfortable. And so what does he do? Let's check it out. Number three, he gets a genuine understanding of God's grace. He gets a genuine understanding of God's grace. This is where the seraphim comes, and he takes the coal out of the fire, and he touches it to his lips. And we go, wow, that's kind of weird. But I want you to know that fire, heat, hot coals always are a sign of what? Purification. Purification. Okay? So he has this experience. Now notice in verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, oh, this is the good part. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. He didn't run from the presence of God. He could have, but he stood there and he went through the purification process of God's forgiveness, of God's purification. This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, could you imagine that you're lying lips? How many of you have ever lied? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you lied. Um, <laughs> it's true. Uh, could you imagine that your lying lips have been forgiven? Oh, everything you said that was wrong, every lie that you've told, forgiven. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine every instance of hatred that you've expressed in your life? Hateful speech, hateful actions, disregard for people. That's all been forgiven. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine every secret sin that you have committed, okay, that nobody knows about, you hope, has been forgiven? Could you imagine that? Could you ever imagine every sexual sin that you've ever committed being forgiven? That's what happens. Could you imagine everything that you've stolen, everything that you've taken from someone else being forgiven? Could you imagine every time you cheated, you've been forgiven? Could you imagine what your life would be like to live completely unburdened? And here's Isaiah. He goes, oh. he's had an experience with God. He's recognized his sinfulness. He's experienced God's grace. And he goes, oh. he could have floated. You know, I remember when I, when I gave my life to Christ as a 10-year-old kid, I remember my grandfather asking me, once, well, what do you think? I said, man, I feel so light. I feel like I could float right off this bed because I'd lay in bed and he came in and talked to me after I went to bed. I said, I feel like I could float. And he says, you know what that is? It's the first time you've never been weighed down by the weight of sin and guilt. I said, ah, oh, man, this feels great. It feels great. And I hope that that's not the last time that you've experienced it. I hope that you realize that, man, I could, you could experience that every time you mess up. Every time you mess up, you go, ah. Oh, 
This is so good. Confess, repent. All of that stuff can be washed away. The same way the coal removed all the sinfulness from Isaiah, the Jesus on the cross removes ours. Okay? Jesus died on a cross. We're going to celebrate that next week. Uh, we're actually going to celebrate his resurrection, but it's all tied in together in that three-day period. And, and we're going to find out that Jesus died so that I could be forgiven, so that the weight of all of my junk could be lifted up. His resurrection proved that he had the power to do that. And so, therefore, could you imagine the same way that the coal removed the guilt and the tone for the sin of Isaiah, Jesus dying on a cross did the same thing. Could you realize that you don't bring anything to the party when it comes to forgiveness? Jesus brings everything. You bring nothing but confession and repentance. He brings everything. He pays for it. He administers it. He gives it to you, and he allows you to live guilt-free. Could you imagine that? Well, I hope that you have a chance this next week to experience God's presence. When you experience God's presence, I hope you have this sense and awareness of your sinfulness. If there's sin that you haven't confessed, I pray that you do that and get right with God again. And then what I hope you have from that experience is that you say, man, I have experienced the grace of God. God has given me grace upon grace. He doesn't make me pay for all the stuff that I've done wrong. He has taken that on himself. In Isaiah 6, 8, here's the conclusion to the story. Isaiah goes through all of this stuff. And then you know what he does? He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Send me. And he, I, could, I just see him jumping. Yeah, I've experienced all this stuff. I've been in the presence of God, man. I've recognized my sinfulness. I've been forgiven and I experienced the grace of God. I'm ready to go. And I pray that for every believer that you have that kind of experience. Now, this isn't one of those reluctant messages where I, I preach this and you say, oh, gee, now I have to go serve God. No, this is a chance where we have the opportunity. We have the privilege of knowing God, experiencing him and serving him fully. It's not a have to get, have to do it. It's a get to do it. And I hope you have the same response that I get from every Chick-fil-A worker I experience. I say, Thank you when they give me my food. You know what they say? Every person in Chick-fil-A will say this. They say, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. When God says, hey, who will go for us? It's my pleasure. I will. It's my pleasure to serve you, God. It's not, okay, I'll do it if I have to. It's, it's my pleasure. This is what I live for. This is what I hope I do every day of my life. Now, also, this is not a one-time decision. Many of you might hear this message say, oh, you know, back in 2001, you know, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, experienced His grace, confessed my sin. No, I hope this is something you experience every day of your life, an experience with God, a recognition of how selfish you are, and then experience His grace and say, here I am, Lord. Send me out today. I'm ready to go to work. Help me do this. Help me go and do. Now, one thing that you need to understand is that there's a war that goes on in your spiritual life, okay? There's this thing the Bible calls your flesh. Now, it's not just your skin and bones. It's the selfish desires that you have inside you, okay? Anybody here have selfish desires? Yeah, you know, when you get hungry and your stomach growls, how many of you get cranky? Anybody? (laughs) I live in a house of people that do that. And uh, to me, I just don't get it. I just get something to eat, you know, but people get cranky. And, uh, and that's an indication of your selfish desires. God created you that way. You have these selfish desires. Uh, God created you that way. We fell at, yeah, it's a long story. Um, <laughs> but since the fall of mankind, we've had these selfish desires that are contrary to God's desires, okay? Sinfulness causes us to have selfish desires that are contrary, and that's our flesh, Okay, now there's also the spirit that lives in you if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and that causes you to want to do the things of God. So when it comes to serving God, you have this part of you that says, yeah, yeah, I want to do that, I want to do that. But you have this fleshly part that says, oh, I don't know if I'm equipped. I don't know if I have time. I don't know if I have the resource. I don't know if I have the wherewithal to do that. So you have this struggle that goes on inside you, and, and the question comes, how do you overcome that? I'm going to give you a tip here. Whatever you feed thrives. Whatever you starve, dies. Okay, whatever you feed, thrives. Now, many of you have lived a life, you know, maybe before Christ, in which you really fed your flesh, okay, and your flesh grew. Now, think about this, okay? 
if I eat anything I want uninhibited, what will my body do? It will thrive. That's what I call it. It will thrive. Okay? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the bigger it gets, the more I feed it, the more it wants. The more it wants. Okay? Now, if I say no to that, what will happen to me? I will be thin and svelte just like I am. Okay? That's what happens. Okay? Now, in your spirit, the same thing is true. If you feed your fleshly desires, they will become stronger, more prominent, and they will lead you to a direction you don't want to go. However, if you feed your spirit, then that will grow and that will become more prominent. So what do you do? Here, I'm going to give you a tip. Deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow him. Okay? Deny your selfish thoughts. Okay? Deny your selfish thoughts. Oh, I need to sleep another hour. Oh, gee, I need to do this. I need to have this. I need to have that. Learn to say no to those things. Okay? Spend time reading God's word. Spend time studying the Bible. Spend time coming to church and learning more. Spend time in a small group where you can get together with other people and rub shoulders and sharpen uh, each other. Spend time feeding your spirit. I would dare say that we spend more time feeding our flesh during the week than we do feeding our spirit. That's why we become more fleshly. Find things to do that will cause you to rely on God. That will feed your spirit. Make it a point. Tomorrow, tomorrow when I get out of bed, tomorrow when I'm going around, I'm going to look for someone who needs a, a word of encouragement from God. They may be a complete and total stranger. I may be waiting in line at Walmart. I may be waiting in line at Rayleigh's. I may be wherever I am. And I'm going to look at the person in front of me. I'm going to look at the person behind me. And I'm going to greet them. And I'm going to give them a kind word. Just see what happens. Just see what happens. Most of the time we get in those situations, what do we do? We look at the floor. We look at the magazine rack that has all kinds of titillating things on it. And we entertain ourselves with that. But now... Take a look at the people around you and ask yourself the question, what can I do to make their life a little bit better? What can I do to make them be recognized? What can I do to let them know that people care about you? They want to know about you. What can I do? So find something to do because whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve dies. Paul said that he dies daily, dies daily. Make that something that happens to you. when you, Now, he didn't just say, you know, I'm going to stab myself and die. What he's saying is, I'm going to say no to those things of my flesh. I'm going to say yes to the things of my spirit. And just try that every morning. Now, why don't more people do this, do you think? Why don't more, more people experience the presence of God, come to awareness of their sinfulness, and then experience the grace of God and say, Lord, send me, send me, send me, send me. Why don't more people do that? I'm going to say this, fear, fear. What are they afraid of? What are we afraid of? Here, I was always afraid that if I said yes to God, what would he do to me? He'd make me speak to a bunch of adults. Okay? I was fearful that he would send me to Texas. <laughs> he didn't do that. And I don't know what there was about me at that time that thought anybody in Texas would want to hear me anyway. Uh, but, you know, that was my fear. When I got to the point where I said, yes, send me, he says, okay, now we can go. Finally got you where I need you to be, a place of submission. And that's what we fear. We fear getting to that place of submission because maybe God will ask us to do something we don't want to do. Maybe God will ask me to be a missionary to Africa. If I said, Lord, send me, maybe he'll send me to Africa. And we get fearful about that. And let me tell you something. Maybe he will. Maybe he will, but probably he won't. You know where he wants you to be a missionary? In your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your workplace, in your family. In wherever you find yourself tomorrow, that's going to be your mission field, okay? So define where you are tomorrow. This is my mission field. What can I do? How can I be a service to God? How can I represent him to the people who are here? Why else are we fearful of that? Well, we're fearful about what's going to happen. You know, what's going to happen? I worry about this. I worry about that, okay? Uh, but most likely, he's going to cause us to be a missionary right where we are. He's going to call us to serve who? Whoever's in front of us. He's not going to make us go to Texas. You know, probably not. Maybe he will. But he's not going to say, go to Texas and serve those people. Because what he wants to do in us is he wants us to be faithful with a little thing. Tomorrow, do a little thing. You know, if you're in line anywhere, if you're in somebody's presence, and look for an opportunity to encourage them to say, you know what? You know, I was reading my Bible today, and here's what God said. 
and it might apply to their situation. As you talk to them, you'll probably find that it might. And God does those kinds of things. So, you know, be, be an encourager. Say, you know, the things, aren't, things can be better for you. Things, you know, God loves you. I love you. We want things to be better for you. How can I serve you? Okay, so be, be aware of that. Okay, now, it doesn't have to be big. Like I said, God does what? He rewards what? The people with a little bit of faith. And what does he do? He gives them big stuff. Okay, if you've been faithful with little, I will give you much. How do people get to that place? How does a Billy Graham get to a place where he can speak to stadiums? You know, he's dead now, but at his heyday. You know, how does he get to a place where he could speak in stadiums? Well, he was faithful with a little thing. He probably, he shared Christ with a guy. And, and God says, man, I can use that. Two guys, three guys, five guys, 10 guys, 30 guys, 50 guys. Man, I can fill a stadium with this guy because he does what I ask him to do. He's faithful with the little things. I will reward him with much. Start tomorrow with a little thing. Now, what, it doesn't have to be big doesn't have to be ostentatious. Just slow down, listen to God, and pray for someone. Take someone to lunch. Okay, Take someone to lunch and just be a friend. Be someone that says, hey, I'm here for you. I love you, and I, I want to be your friend. Okay, Now, maybe God will say, I want you to serve with our babies. Okay, Now, why is it that people don't want to go to Africa? You know, why, why do people not want to go to Africa? Because they're scared of the people. Okay? And when you get there, chances are, when you leave the United States of America, probably it will be the last toilet you use. Okay? You know, let's be honest. You know, we worry about third world countries. Why? Because they don't have good toilets. Okay? Maybe God's asking you to serve in the two-year-olds. It's a lot like going to Africa. You know, they don't use toilets either. But, uh, but the thing is, God's going to ask you to do something. God's going to lead you to do something. So I want you to be open to that. Okay? Now, I want you to be thrilled. I want you to be thrilled by being used by God. I don't want you to look at it as a chore or have, you know, uh, something I, oh, man, I got to do it. Okay, I can put in my time. You know, I, I'm going to say something here, that, and I hope none of you are offended by it. But there are a group of people called the Jehovah's Witnesses. Have you ever seen Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door? You know, well, and, and they're good people. You know, they're just misled. And, and they, they rarely exude this vibrancy. They rarely exude, you know, ah, gosh, I get to talk to you. Oh, it's so awesome. You know, they're, they're not like that. You know why? Because it's something that they have to do. There's a certain amount of hours that they have to put in, and they have to. You ever see somebody, you know, sitting outside with a rack of their watchtower things, you know, and they're sitting there going, looking at their watch. Okay, got 10 more minutes. Oh, you got to pick up their stuff and go home. I don't want that to be like that for you. I don't want you to go, okay, i got to serve God. No. If that's the way you feel, don't do it. I believe this. If you have faith, take a look at your faith. If it's the kind of faith you want to export, export it. But if it's not a vibrant, joyful, excited faith, please do the Christian faith a favor. Don't export that. Don't export it. Got to go to church. Hey, you want to go to a ball game Sunday? Nope, got to go to church. Bummer. Go to the ball game. You know, go to the ball game. Especially if it's a lost guy, you know, a lost family. Go to the ball game with them. Okay? Teach them what the love of Christ is all about. You know? I'm not saying do that all the time. Okay? But every once in a while, there's a good reason to miss church so that you can be church. Okay? If you ever miss church, make sure that on Sunday between 10 and 11, you're being church. Okay, be the church wherever you are between 10 and 11. In fact, be the church all the time. But make sure that if you miss church, you're going to miss church to be church. And I think you get my drift. Okay, and let's close with a story. Uh, Remember back in the old days, uh, at the end of the service, the pastor would go to the back and he would shake everybody's hand as they were going out. And the people that really didn't want to face him would go out the other door. Yeah. I, I, I've been in churches like that. You go to the back and you shake hands and everything. And here's what you expect. You expect everybody to come by and say, oh, pastor, that was an awesome message. Thank you so much. Great message. Great message. I used to have this guy that would do that you know, at the church I was in. He would come by and he'd say, boy, you really let them have it today, huh? And I would always want to say, dude, I was trying to let you have it. Yeah, but, but he always said, you really let them have it today. 
I go, well, I was really aiming at you, but you know, if I hit the people around you, so much the better, whatever. Uh, but, uh, but this pastor, he would stand back at the back of the church, and everybody would go by, and oh, what a great message, what a great message, what a great message. And one guy comes by, and he's in tears, and he says, oh, pastor, man, I, I, I came to this church, and I love this church. Thank you for letting me be here. The answer is yes. What's the question? The pastor looks at him. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Uh, see you next week. And sure enough, he did see him next week. After the message, the guy came by. He's in tears. He said, oh, man, I, I love being here so much. I love the presence of God. I love the way you teach. And, and I just want you to know, the answer is yes. What's the question? The pastor goes, oh, yeah, okay, and moves on to the next person. And uh, third week in a row, comes by, and he says, oh, pastor, I, I've experienced the grace of God so much in this church. I just want you to know how appreciative I am. The answer is yes. What's the question? And the pastor finally gets the courage enough to say, okay, uh, let's get together this next week and let's talk about the question. And so they made an appointment to have coffee together and, and they meet and, and they're at Starbucks. And he says, he says, okay, tell me about this thing. Tell me about you. He says, oh, pastor, I was, uh, you know, before I came to your church, I was a drug addict. I was terrible to my family. I was abusive to my kids, and I came to your church. I experienced the grace of God. My life has changed. You can ask my wife. You can ask my kids. You can ask my neighbors. They know my life has changed because of that. And when I came to your church, I told Jesus, I say yes to everything. So, Pastor, 2 a.m. in the morning, you need something, you call me because the answer is yes. If you need your lawn mowed, call me because the answer is yes. Whatever you need, I say yes to. Now, what's the question? I pray that when you have the experience of God, that that's what you will conclude and that's what you will say. God, whatever you say, the answer is already yes. What's the question? What do you want from me? Where do you want to send me? What do you want me to do? I am yours all the time. I'm available 24-7. You just send me out. I pray today that you will have an experience with God. I pray that you'll have an experience with God. And as a result of that experience with God, you are going to come to the conclusion, you say, yes, whatever you ask of me, God, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Because you give my life meaning, you give me purpose, and I'm here to fulfill it. The answer is yes, God. What's the question?